Hello, everyone. Welcome. This is the Breaking Free Show, and my name is Marilyn Shannon, and I am so happy to be here and with you. It's been a long time, I think. I've been away, and we've been producing our show, and I've been in Florida, but now I am home, and I am thrilled. I have missed you all so much, and I've missed my dear friend, Amnon, our producer. Hi, Amnon. How are you? Hello, Marilyn. Nice to have you back um, in Raleigh. It's so good to be back. I can't even begin to tell you. Don't even get me started. I might even start to cry. I'm so happy All to be right. home. But anyway, <laughs> it's good to be here and it's great to be doing our show again. And I look forward to each and every week that I get to spend it with you and our very special guests. So before we get started, I just want to remind you all that we have a chat. If you look underneath the video, so you will see where you can put your name, nickname, whatever you like and enter there, ask questions, comment, whatever you feel like. And you can also call into the studio at 919-518-9773 and communicate with us as well. And also you can come in on, uh, can you come in on Skype still, Amnon? Yeah, computers, why not? Yeah. Okay. All right, computers two. that's computers, that's plural, then the number 2K voice, and you will come in on uh, Skype, no picture just voice so don't worry about it we just love to have you and comment and whatever the mood uh wherever the mood takes you let it take you right here and ask your questions okay all right so let's get on with our show so let me introduce to you our guest today elise goldbach welcome elise hi thank you so much for having me <laughs> oh it's a pleasure i'm so happy to have you and we did have some great conversation but nothing about the show really before the show so i really like elise so Elise, tell everybody who you are. So I'm um, Elise Goldbach. I live in the Cleveland area um, and I was a steel worker for a while and I ended up writing a book about my experiences in the steel industry. So steel worker. So first of all, take us before the steel working. Like okay. what did you do before that? Well, I was, um, you know, I, I went to college for English. Um, you know, I was always really interested in literature. Um, and, and at that time, I, I used to be a house painter, um, you know, like during college. You've never picked, you've never picked like girly jobs and like, no, things no. That, like <laughs> other people would pick, right? You always pick the ones that uh, are a little outstanding. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? I loved like working with my body and especially when you're painting houses in the summer, you're outside and you're in the sun and, and you know, after you work a day, like you feel kind of exhausted and you feel like you've, you know, you've been in your body, which is always like a great feeling to me. Um, so after college, I just kind of kept painting houses. It was also the Great Recession, so it was hard to find jobs in like the editorial fields and things like that. Um, and, and so I, I did that for a long time. Um, but eventually just kind of didn't pay the bills. Um, and, and I it also, it wasn't a job with health insurance. And so that kind of led me to the mill. Um, I had a good friend who worked down there. Um, and, and, you know, he really encouraged me to apply just because it's really great pay, great benefits, um, to union job. And, and so kind of that, that's what led me there. So you didn't even like say no from the beginning. <laughs> Like, no, no. Well, tell me, somebody would say to me, uh, "How about working in a steel mill?" I would go, uh, "No." At first, I was like, I was a little bit like, "Well, I don't know if that's really what I want to do." You know, um, the steel mill is right outside of downtown Cleveland, so you you pass it all the time, and and there's just you can see the smoke billowing, and and the buildings are all rusty, and it just looks like this dirty, dingy area. And I was like, I don't know if I really want to do that. Um, but 
but really kind of unfortunately what changed my mind was um, my friend showed me his paycheck and I was, I didn't realize that steel steel workers make what they make. um, And that kind of, you know, (laughs) changed my mind about it a little bit. And I figured, you know, I can paint houses. I already work in a, a dangerous industry, you know, steel working. I figured it would be no different. And it was very different. <laughs> it was? How? So, um, I think that I I didn't anticipate how huge the equipment is. Um, you know, I mean, we all know, like, of course, it's steel. It's big. There's tons and tons of stuff. But when you're, um, when you're really, like, down in it, you, you realize how easily you can be crushed or killed. Or, um, you know, there's always, like, cranes that are moving overhead. And they're carrying, like, 40 tons which is like an elephant you know and and you know those things sometimes the cranes will break and they'll drop out of the sky and come crashing down or you know and and so it's it's just there's kind of constant danger that you always have to be alert and aware of so how many close did you have some close calls i luckily i only had one close call um and and it wasn't with me i was actually running a crane um and there was a guy down on the ground and i felt the crane kind of buckle and it was just about to lay off of it and like the rigging snapped. And so kind of like metal shards went flying and luckily nothing hit the guy down there that really um, sobered me up, you know, like that, you know, it's hard to be down in the dangerous areas, but it's also really hard to kind of be controlling the equipment, knowing that you, you could injure somebody too. Um, so kind of like that dual stress. Right. Yeah. So you, you had to learn how to work a crane. You just don't get up on top of a crane and work it. Yeah, yeah. It took me a little while. It took about three months, um, I would say. Um, and it was, it's very different than driving. I was very intimidated by it at first. You know, it's, um, it, it, it's really shaky. It feels like a carnival ride that's about to fall, fall over. <laughs> um, and, and so, you know, there's no like shock absorbers. So you're just kind of bouncing around. And, and it's also just depth perception can be difficult. Sometimes you're picking something up that's hundred yards from you or a hundred feet at least, you know, and, and, and so just kind of being able to eyeball all that. And, and also you have to sometimes set things down really delicately and you're, you know, you're moving things that are 20 tons and, and it's hard to, to set that delicately on the ground or wherever you need it to go. Did you wear glasses then? I did. Yeah. I actually had like these big pop bottle um, wow. safety glasses, you know, that had like sides on them. And so, yeah, it was, they were really attractive glasses. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were in the steel mill. So yeah. first of all, I want to get into a lot more of this, but do you have a copy of your book handy that you can just hold up? Um, yeah, a- I have. Um, to show everybody that you, yeah. <laughs> this is, um, I think this is the British version, but it, it looks very similar in America. <laughs> yeah. or, and it's on Amazon or where is it? And on Amazon. Um, yeah, or Barnes & Noble or Indie Books or yeah. Perfect. Okay, so first of all, so you 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 apply for this job. Did they accept you right away? Actually, um, I didn't anticipate this, but the application process is really long when you're working in the steel mill. Um, it, you know, there was like a, a basic kind of arithmetic test. There was a personality test. There was, you know, um, a test where we had to go into a warehouse and like carry sandbags back and forth in this warehouse and we were all like sweaty and, and, and gross um and and um you know there were all these other tests so the process for me was about four months which is actually like really short like that's a pretty um pretty good turnaround time a lot of people 
will have their applications going for like a year or more. Um, Why is that? Why is that? Um, it's because they only take applications in like, they'll, they'll have like a month where they're taking applications and they'll continue to draw from those applications, hiring people like in kind of staggered groups. So, you know, you might put your application in this month and, but you're not in the group that's hired until next year, you know, or yeah. So, and people, they, they really want that union protection. It's really great benefits. And so they, um, you know, they'll, they'll wait that long for sure. Wow. And, yeah. and women, they like women down there. Yeah. I mean, the overall feel um, towards women was, was overall very good. You know, I, I didn't feel out of place as a woman. Um, there were some comments here and there that, that would kind of make you cringe. Um, there was at one point in time, I think the, the most upsetting one to me was um, a, a friend of mine that I worked very closely with and always worked really hard. You know, he was talking with another guy and they were, you know, got to talking about women and how, you know, women just don't want to do any work. And, and if you're trying to make them do work, they'll tell the, everybody that you sexually harassed them. And, and like, so this, and like, that was, you know, I had to like stand up and put that straight that, you know, <laughs> A, you know, women, women down at the mill actually, I think, work a lot harder to prove themselves. Um, and B, obviously, you know. <laughs> right. You know, they're not, we're not using sexual harassment as some sort of out to, you know. So is there something unique or special about you? About somebody like you who would take on a job like that? Um, I think I've always, like, had just kind of like a, a dogged perseverance mentality where, um, you know, even when something's scary or difficult, I just kind of like keep moving forward and, and keep trying to tackle it. Um, and so I think that that kind of allowed me to, to thrive at the mill um, because I would, I would see something like the crane that was really scary or, or, you know, um, at one point I stirred a pot of molten zinc or, you know, like all these other kind of weird jobs um, that are also dangerous. You know, I think that I, I just always had that mentality to just just keep going and keep moving forward and keep working at it. And eventually you'll kind of get the hang of it. Um, and I think that's been true in my job and just in my emotional life and also, um, you know, in my writing life as well. So you say thrive. I love yeah. that you use the word thrive. So you thrive down there. I did. I really, I really loved it down there. Um, and it was a hard decision when I, I did decide to leave eventually, but, but I mean, I just, you know, I loved being with the people and like, you know, we would on our breaks do like crossword puzzles or just joke around or, you know, you know, we all had like radios. So we would joke around on the radio and, and, and I just felt like a real sense of community down there. Um, and also like, I think when you're working in such a dangerous industry, everyone really looks out for each other and it becomes kind of a family, like this union family where you're always looking out for each other. You always have each other's backs. Um, and, and so I think that that was really good for me, you know, just as a person to be a part of that. You were down there how long? Um, a little more than three years. Mm. Yeah, so did you get yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, no, go, you go, go, go. I was say, like, I worked a whole bunch of different places while I was down there. Um, my favorite was the finishing department, but I also really liked, I worked down in the furnaces as well. Um, like, you know, where they, there's the molten steel and things like that. Um, and I used to drive a tow motor and just like unloading the raw materials. And so that was always really fun just to kind of hop in the tow motor and 
drive fun. Yeah. Fun. Yeah. Like what was fun? Uh, I think, you know what? I think I really like jobs that make you think in a different way than writing. I think I spend so much of my time writing and reading and thinking, having something that's more physical and almost demands a different type of um, intellect or different type of intelligence. I think that always is really refreshing to me. And it's always like a challenge, like, you know, to, to make sure you get the, the palette off without messing it up or, you know, see how fast you can do it, <laughs> you know. Like games with yourself down there, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's very cool. So, yeah. um, and I, so I wanna go down there some more, but I wanted to ask you, so, the things that you brought back from the steel mines in your life now, how has it affected you now from being down there? Yeah, I think, I think really more than anything, the, because the mill was, was so intimidating to me to begin with, um, and, and because it was just so, such a dangerous and odd job, um, and, and yet I was able to, to master these different aspects of, of doing that job. I think it kind of gave me this mentality of like, okay, well, there's maybe not much that I can't do. You know, if, if I can learn to run a hundred ton crane, like, then I can certainly write a book or I can, you know, do this, you know, or, you know, be healthy or do, you know, wh whatever it is that I need to do in my own life. But it kind of gave me that confidence, I think, um, both in myself and, yeah. I, I think, like, you know, that's a really good point because sometimes we do need those benchmarks. You know, we need yeah. that mountain or that molehill that, you know, that we got to, then we could say, yeah, I, if I did that, I can do this. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> it's, and it's good to be able to reflect back in a positive way and take it positively as opposed to some kind of a negative, you know, negatively. So yeah. I, yeah, that's a good thing. I commend you for that. That's a good thing. Yeah. And, and a sense of community, did that um, kind of spark you there as well? You, you, you spoke about that as far as being down there. So, you know, up here, up here, down there, you know, when you're not um, doing the same thing as somebody else, you don't have a similar mission. Sometimes it's hard to build a community. And everybody's so doing their thing. Go ahead. Yeah, no, no, it definitely can be. And I, I think... Um, you know, obviously that's why the community was so strong down at the mill because everyone was kind of in the same boat. Um, but also, I mean, think that there were a lot of people who were very different than me as well, um, both, you know, politically speaking and, and um, you know, just in our views and, and things like that. And it, it was interesting to find that, like, um, even when we I would get in, like, arguments about, like, the state of the world or things like that, that we always had that kind of baseline understanding that, like, First and foremost, we're steel workers and we're going to look out for each other. It doesn't matter if we kind of disagree. Like, you know, we can agree and still be friends and still work together. Um, so I think that that's, you know, I think probably in any human relationship too, like it's finding that common ground that you can always go back to um, perhaps. And, and, you know, not always that you're steel workers. It could be um, something else or something small. But I think that we all are more alike than we are dissimilar, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So you were down there from like what time to what time? In the oh, day? geez. <laughs> I, the other thing I didn't realize about steel mills is it's a lot of shift work. So you're usually working 12 hour shifts, which is usually either 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. or 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. You're also like rotating a lot. Um, so we would rotate like, you know, you would have like three days on, 
two days off and then like four nights on and then two days off. And so you're constantly kind of, you never knew if it was night or day. Like we used to joke, like in the winter, you know, you would come to work and it would be dark. You'd leave work and it would be dark. So you never knew if it was morning or night. <laughs> um, How did you stand that? Um, that? Yeah, no, that was actually really, really difficult for me. Um, you know, I think that I was working so much. I was also working like 80, 90 hours a week sometimes. Um, and so it was just hard. Whoa, to whoa, whoa. Is that typical or is that because you're nuts? No, that was typical. And it was kind of also um, when you're new, you know, you're the low guy on the totem pole. So you, if somebody doesn't want the shift, then they just give it to you. And that's kind of don't have a choice. Um, and so, but a lot of people do work um, a lot of overtime down there as well, um, voluntarily. Um, but it, it, it definitely had an effect on me because I felt like I couldn't do anything else that I enjoyed. I, I couldn't write, I couldn't read, I couldn't, um, you know, hang out with friends and family. Um, and also I um, actually have bipolar disorder um, and I've struggled with that throughout my life. And one thing that was, is very bad for people with bipolar disorder is like a lack of a consistent schedule. Right, um, right. Sleep deprivation. Um, so even so I, the, even the, even no light. Yeah, no light. I, like, I've known, you know, several people with uh, bipolar disorder and, you know, in February might be a really hard month because of no light. Yeah, no, that definitely has an effect. And, and, you know, when you're down in the mill, you're, you're just in these buildings that are already like really dim and there's just no natural light filtering in anywhere, you know? Um, so, and it's, it was very hard for me and I ended up actually kind of having a bipolar episode that sent me to the hospital. Um, and then at that point I was able to, um, you know, work with the company and with my doctors and they were able to find me like a daylight schedule like, which was much more feasible and, and, um, you know, I was able to kind of work around my illness. Um, so, so, how, so how much of your, your book and your story involves the fact that you have bipolar disorder? Um, I would say a good, a large part of it, um, that that's kind of always a thread that goes through, um, just the, cause I think also being bipolar, um, I think it chipped away at my confidence over the course of my life. I was diagnosed at 18. Um, and, you know, I started to work in the mill when I was 29. So I think that um, almost the mill kind of rebuilt the confidence I had lost because of the, the illness. Um, really? Because I always thought, I always thought yeah. on some level that there was a super confidence. Well, it goes both ways, right? Yeah. There's a super confidence and then there's the downside. Is that right with, with bipolar? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you get the the um, mania or hyper, right, hyper right. Mania, and that's yeah. You can be like overly confident in almost a delusional way. Um, but like, and I I think though when you go because usually there's you know there's depressions where you're not confident at all, and then there's like usually like a normal in the middle time when you're more maybe yourself. And I think that in those times I would feel kind of a lack of confidence just because I never knew what my brain was going to do, you know? Right, 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 right. Who knows tomorrow? And Right. So do you think that, the, is that why maybe you took some of the, like, the you know, some of the dangerous jobs because I think of the, bipolar? Um, I think it was partly. Um, maybe, yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe some of it was a hypomania, like, yeah, not thinking clearly. But um, I think that, I think partly I think I was afraid to succeed in the, um, the areas that I really wanted to, which is the writing. And, and I always wanted to be like a, a teacher or a professor. 
Um, and I think I was afraid to go after those things um, because I was afraid that I would fail, that the bipolar disorder would pop up and then kind of lead to failure. And so it was, I think it's easier sometimes to not try something than it is uh-huh. trying oh, to fail. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so I really thank you for, because, I mean, this is a really funky time for a lot of people. I mean, even if you haven't been bi- uh, diagnosed with bipolar or anything, you can feel a lot of things now that you've never felt with a, with a diagnosis, with an identity or not. And your message is even bigger, I think, in general, attaching the bipolar to it and understanding all that you've gone through and how, how it may have affected you and maybe how it didn't. And so I, I really appreciate you doing this. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thank you. I, I do. I think it's important to get those stories out there about, you know, about mental health struggles, just to kind of, I think there's a lot of stigma surrounding mental illness and, um, and just to help people understand better. And also, I think for me personally, helping family and friends understand too, you know, when they read my book, like to, you know, know what it is that I go through when, when I'm being antisocial or, you know, not wanting to hang out or, or in bed all day or, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah. Cause if you, um, like it being antisocial, if you are down in the mind and one of the things is being, um, you need each other for safety reasons. Yeah. You're, you're forced to be social. I, I would guess. I mean, I've never been down there, but I can only imagine that, you know, one, you, each of you are watching each other's back. Otherwise you can't make it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so, so you put yourself in an environment that, I mean, was crucial, I think, for who you are in general. Yeah, absolutely. And I think in a way too, like having that, that social aspect probably kept me from deeper depths than I ended up going into. Um, just, just to, just to interact with people and, and to, to be there. Um, for, for a long period in the mill, when I was working those crazy schedules, I would always work with the same guy, you know? And, and so it's like, you know, we developed just like a closer friendship because we were always together and we were probably working more than we were at home, you know? Um, and, and so I think that that always was a, yeah, like a bright spot, I think, in, the, in my day to have yeah. those connections. Yeah. So I know we're jumping around everybody, but I can't help it. Uh-huh. Uh, so I go from one thought to another and I want to bring it all in. But I do want to remind everyone that they are welcome. You are all welcome to call in if you like at 919-518-9773. And that'll take you right into our studio. And you can also join us on Skype. Uh, that would be computers. And that would be plural with the S after it. And then the number 2K voice, and that would uh, bring you in on Skype voice. And you can also join us in our chat, ask questions, comment. You know, maybe you've had some similar experiences. This is a perfect time to share. Or maybe you don't know and you just want to ask. So please feel free to use this time for your time. That would be great. So one of the questions I had as we were talking this last bit was when you did come back out of the um, steel mill for good after you got done. How, how was it? How hard was it? Easy was it? What did you have to do to get back into life? I mean, you know, you got to get stretched yourself and then you have to kind of come back and what did you do? Yeah. So, um, well, luckily kind of 
the writing and the teaching were there as like kind of a landing point when I did leave the mill. Um, you know, and it was a hard decision when I, I decided to leave for good. Um, and, you know, I went back and forth, but, you know, at the time I was finishing writing rest. So like that was taking a lot of my time and energy. So let me interrupt you a second. So the excitement, there's, a, mm -hmm. there's an excitement, you know, like an adventurous kind of excitement about some of these things. So yeah. when you did come back and you were writing rust and doing your writing, that was something that you said early on, you had maybe some fear about. So now coming back, you kind of have more of an excitement and it's more challenging and adventurous rather than the fear of the mill you mean yeah yeah the writing but the writing oh, yeah right um yeah i think i think i just knew i needed to do that for myself i think i've always want, known that i had a story to tell and that i wanted to be able to tell it um and i think that almost like i um i was brought to like a low point with the the bipolar disorder even at the mill and i think i was just like i was like done with it i was like i'm not gonna let that control my life anymore i think and i i was just knew that like i needed you know something needed to change and i think that and i knew that too that the, the story of the mill was so interesting it's such an interesting place interesting landscape unique people um and and so i had a real desire to kind of tell that story um and so i think it was just that you know sometimes when you get to your lowest point, that's when you're able to kind of pick yourself up and, and keep going, you know, or, or almost go at things with more vigor. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. I think yeah. it's, um, you know, you, you, I mean, you see yourself in different environments and if you're privy enough to be able to observe yourself and have people around you who can help you observe, you know, help you be, whether they're a sounding board or whatever, it's, it, you know, that's what we kind of, you know, relish in each other, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. What, what you I was saying, and the writing itself, I think, is a, an interesting way to kind of observe yourself, you know, because, you know, no writing never happens in the first draft. You write multiple drafts and, and you're kind of almost able to step back and look at yourself and, and 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 dig deeper into you know what your thoughts and feelings and the underlying emotions are of you know your actions yeah well you're talking to yourself yeah yeah exactly. <laughs> over and over and over again yeah right so it's and you were looking for your story i mean you will you want i mean you you will i from what i hear correct me if i'm wrong you were looking for that story and you found it in rust yeah absolutely i was you know, I always kind of wanted to tell the, the story of the, the illness and, and some other things. And uh, I just couldn't figure out the way to, to, to package them into a book. And, and the steel mill kind of gave me that, that structure that I needed. Um, so tell us some, some things about the people down there. Like who, you know, you had you, your thing. So who else were down there? Um, it was a lot of different kinds of people. Um, you know, um, one person that I became good friends with was, you know, a single mom who was maybe a little younger than me, about 25, and had like, you know, half of her head shaved and like pink hair on the other side. And, and you know, she had a, a, an adorable little daughter and, and just, you know, the mill was like her way to kind of make a good life for her and, and her daughter and, and their family. And um, so like, you know, there, there were definitely other women down there. Um, and, you know, there were also 
um, older women who had been in the mill for decades, you know, who had seen like all different types of, you know, trials, um, definitely had more sexual harassment to deal with, you know, in the, in the 80s and things like that. Um, and kind of they were, you know, very tough and stoic women, you know, like they, you knew they meant business and like you could tell that they had, you know, kind of fought for their place, I think. Um, and, you know, I work with, um, you know, one, the one guy I worked with a lot, like, you know, he was probably in his mid forties and, and, you know, his wife was a cook and, and we would, you know, we got along greats and, you know, then there were, you know, older, older guys who were a little like the, the grizzled steel worker that you might, um, might imagine in your head. Um, you know, but, and, and so it was just a mix, you know, there were people who were veterans, there were, you know, um, a lot of people were, did maybe tend more to like uh, conservative values. Um, but, but it was, it was definitely more mixed than I think some people um, have, you know, like to assume. Yeah. So it's, it's a, um, it's a culture and it's kind of like a um, alternative life, I would think. Right. It's, yeah, and it, it does become like your life and your family in, in many ways. Yeah, you know, and there will be union picnics and union meetings and, and things like that. Yeah. I can't even imagine uh, not seeing daylight. For me, yeah. I just can't imagine. We used to joke that like steelworkers are like vampires because you would go out in the sun and you would be like, oh, <laughs> you know, shielded from me. Yeah. And you did it for three years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, some guys had been down there 30, 40 years, you know, and had seen things when, you know, the, the safety regulations weren't as good. And, uh, you know, they, they used to solve problems with like fistfights and beating each other with two by fours and, you know, all the stories that you, you hear. And what about the health, health factors? I mean, that's the other thing you think about is, you know, breathing in all that stuff. What about that? No, that was definitely um, a concern. And I think one of the things that ultimately made me decide it was probably a good thing to leave. Um, Cause you know, like there were, there, there were a lot of people who would get cancer. Um, there was one guy who, who um, I knew who got stomach cancer and, and, you know, died very quickly. Um, also a lot of people end up, you know, a lot of steel work, steel workers, um, you know, have to sit and press buttons so you're kind of like sitting and actually more sedentary all day. And, and so like those people would struggle with, you know, weight issues or diabetes or so like there was definitely, and, and also just the, the total lack of sleep is never good for your body long-term. Um, so the, there were definitely health issues that, that I think attend, even, even with the safety and, and as much as they try to do to keep people safe. I mean, like black, I mean, isn't that where black lung comes from? <laughs> Breathing in all that stuff? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and they do have like respirators for those like kind of weird, you know, situations now. Um, but even like I worked in one place where there was a lot of dust, it was like limestone dust, it would mix with your sweat, and it would become like, kind of caustic, like, like, you know, like cause like a rash. And it was just kind of like, well, that's just <laughs> the way it is, you know. Um, so. You are quite a woman. <laughs> Thank you. You are quite a woman. Thank I mean, you. I you are so welcome. I mean, and, and to come back and, and use your experience or come out and use, not come back, but come out and use your experience for good. Yeah, no, that's, um, you know, I, I, I did, yeah, I had such a fondness that I, I wanted people to kind of understand the mill in the way I saw it, I think, yeah.
So what, when you say fondness, and you've said <clears throat> several things, what is the fondness? What is the most heartwarming message about the, mill, about the steel mill that you would want other people to know about? I mean, I think that all of it does go back to the community and just knowing that like we can be so different from people and still find that common ground. Um, and also I think just the, also for me, like the steel mill, it looks so ugly when you're far away from it. And then you get inside of it and it has this beauty that, you know, sometimes we see things from a distance and we don't, um, we don't really understand them from within and we can't see their beauty until we kind of, yeah, delve deeper. Well, that's why I do my books, because listening to the heart of something, regardless of whether it's a person or it's a steel mill, you know, when you get into it, you can see things you never could have imagined and understanding it. You know, you are our, you were, you are, were our eyes into the steel mill, a place I won't ever go <laughs> other than maybe a picture, but I'll never go there. But to be able to hear you talk about, you know, people, I love to know about people. Of all, you know, people are people. People are fabulous. Regardless, everybody's got a story. Yeah, and that's that's definitely what I found down at the mill. And and just you know, it's so easy to to, to judge when we're standing at a distance, and, and then we kind of hear someone's story, and and I think we're able to empathize and, and have some compassion. Um, you know, at, at, at one point in the steel mill, um, I was talking to a man and, and he was kind of like a rough tumble man who I would have maybe pinned him as like a misogynist or something, you know? Um, and, and we were talking and, and he was talking about sexual assaults and I was like, well, you don't know what that's like. And, and he eventually told me that he himself had been molested. And so it was kind of this you know, that, that I would have pinned him as like, oh, he, you know, he doesn't understand. He's the that. molester. You would think yeah, he was. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, and right. like, yeah, he probably had more ways to understand it than, you know, I did. Yeah. You know, I, the book I'm currently having published is about the opioid addiction. And I interviewed a woman in particular who had, a, has a boyfriend who is addicted and they're not married. I mean, she went into the relationship you know, knowing that he had an addiction. And I was like, before I started talking to her, I'm like, oh my God, how can anybody do that? Not just any woman, but how can anybody, I mean, all these judgments about her and her neediness and her this and her that. And after I, you know, interviewed her, I was just taken back because I then realized, well, she fell in love with this man. And he is a really nice guy who just happens to have an addiction. And, how, and, and, and there is a person with an addiction in every neighborhood and next door to a lot of people that I probably already know. And, oh. you know, and it was just, I took back my judgment. And here were just two people. Yeah, and it's, yeah. <laughs> Period. And I didn't find her crazy anymore. I found her better than me because her heart was more open. Right? Yeah. And it, right. it does. It changes your mind, you know? Yeah. It does. And we need these stories desperately. We well, especially need, right now. Yeah. <laughs> we need these stories. We need storytellers. 
who can get close to somebody who I may not get close to. So that the world becomes a much better, nicer, sweeter, more gentler, united place. No, that's desperately what we need right now, I think. Yeah, and, and bipolar. I mean, I mean, people make up a lot of things about people that suffer from or have bipolar. And for you to come out and share as a, you know, is, is I mean, we need that because there's a lot. I mean, and people with bipolar need you to share so they don't feel so behind the, you know, the eight ball. And people who don't know very much need you because, I mean, this whole thing with Kanye West, how is that affecting you? What are you making up about that? And that I haven't, I, I've been a little divorced from the news, so I don't, yeah, have much of an opinion about it. You don't know much about that. No, no, yeah. Okay. Okay. I I do know that he has bipolar disorder, right? Yeah. yeah. And he did, had some, you know, did something with um, running for president and, made some remarks and um, uh, whatever, I can't remember what her name is in the moment. His wife came out and expressed about him having bipolar and, you know, how much understanding, you know, he would need and, you know, that kind of thing. And um, it was, it's an interesting take having, you know, her come out and talk about it. And, you know, you know, sometimes things happen. Well, not sometimes, you know, things happen for a reason. Yeah, right. They do. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, and I know, like, just having experienced the bipolar, when, when you're in that high, like that manic state, I mean, I've said things to people that I would never say, but I did say, you know, and, 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 you know, just, um, yeah, like, having people realize that, like, you're maybe not, you're a different person when you're in those kind of swings, and, and it, it can be difficult to get out of them, you know. So is, is that one of the main, when you talk, when you think about talking about bipolar and you're expressing yourself in, what is your overall, is that one of your overall messages? What else would be as far as um, understanding bipolar or seeing you as a representative, you know, representative? Yeah. And I think, I think one thing that I, I would like to get out there is you know, even in the medical community, they talk about bipolar disorder and they'll say things like, oh, the patient lacks insight. They they don't, you know, they don't understand what's going on inside of them. And I think that one thing I would like people to know is that, you know, sometimes mental illness actually makes you even more acutely aware of what you're feeling and how you're feeling, you know, because you're constantly having to examine yourself and, and, and ask where, where your thoughts and feelings are coming from. And so a lot of times I think that, that, that people with mental illness, um, you know, depression, bipolar disorder, can have like a, a deeper awareness of of who they are. Um, and and I think I would like, you know, there to be some knowledge or accept, acceptance of that. Um, and the other thing is, I I just think getting those stories out there is um, is helpful and beneficial. Like even at the mill, um, I was starting like a, a new in a new department. And, and the man who was training me must've found out that I had bipolar disorder and, you know, we were walking and kind of like looked me up and down and he's like, I heard that you were crazy, but you look pretty normal. <laughs> and so, and I think that maybe, you know, <laughs> maybe to, uh, yeah, to show people that like people with mental illness are just normal, you know, just a different kind of normal. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I, I think we all have a touch of a lot of things. Yeah, absolutely. I, mean, I just think there's a spectrum. 
of a lot of things. There are times that I'm feeling something and I can't, you know, I mean, I can control my, I mean, I'm not, bi- I don't think I'm bipolar. Mm-hmm. I don't have those ups and downs, but I have, an, I have a regular up and down. At some point, somewhere, I'm doing something. Right? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think that we, there's so much we don't know about the brain and how it works and, and why it works the way it does, you know, and especially when it comes to mental illness, that, that I think that you're probably right. It is some sort of spectrum. That, there's no question. Whether ADD, ADHD, tell me who isn't. Tell me who does not, you know, and, and when people say, you know, label people, I mean, ADD, ADHD, when I look at ADD, ADHD, bipolar, it, you, you, people tend to, when you're higher than the middle of, of those spectrums, are super creative. Yeah, yeah, and I, you yeah. are super creative. And if you think that that's a, a sickness and a disease, I beg to differ. It's yeah, it's it's a hard balance, you know, because you, in one way, you have to be stable enough to produce the the art or the yeah. Um, but I, I do. What think- about if you're not? And it's and what about if there's a, a confidence issue, and you have that burning desire, but you have that confidence issue. Tell me where you can go with that as a mental illness that becomes a mental illness. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, yeah, (laughs) that becomes its own, its own kind of set of problems. Absolutely. Yeah. Right, 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 right. Absolutely. Uh, So, and I, so the insight, the ability to be able to see being a fly on your wall, but not be able to stop it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, not always. Um, not and always. I, yeah, yeah. Because um, I think as, as you know, as the years have gone by, I've, I'm able to recognize kind of when it's getting out of the control. And sometimes it's it's already out out of control and I can't stop it. But sometimes I can, you know, I know to ask for help or to, you know, go to the psychiatrist and 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 talk you know, maybe adjust the medication or, you know, um, so I think, yeah, you, you do end up kind of learning how to, how to manage it in some, some ways. Um, and so as you have, um, are your up highs and lows, are they different? Are the peaks and valleys different than they used to be? Are they closer together? Um, actually, I would say they're actually farther apart. Um, right. Yeah, and I would say too they they're not as there's not as they're not as big like the the lows aren't as low and the highs aren't as high, but like like you said you know we're all human and we have those highs and lows and you know especially with everything that's going on with coronavirus I think that that causes anxiety and, and depression and you know at least it it has for me um, and so and and that's some of that's just normal not necessarily it's just being a person with feelings I mean yeah. now. I mean, it's hard not to have a feeling right now of some yeah. sort. And uh, yeah, and I think that for a while I didn't even realize how much this was really affecting me. That you know, I was almost trying to sally forth and keep going, and 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 really, there's something huge going on, and, and mm-hmm. I think your brain wants you to acknowledge it. <laughs> yeah. Well, like I was telling you, <clears throat> excuse me, when we got started. <clears throat> just got back five months of being with my mother through COVID and then her illness. And I don't know what that felt like until I got back here. 
and now in retrospect, when I look back and I think five months, I just, I've been away for five months. Like it didn't register. I didn't know what five months was like. Yeah. Isn't that so strange? Yeah. It's so strange. I mean, now I'm like, huh? Five months? It's odd. Um, and yeah. I'm trying to figure it out. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Sometimes retrospect is the, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I got to deal with stuff. Yeah. So um, spirituality and bipolar. Yeah. How, how are the two linked for you? Um, I think I've, well, I was always like, um, you know, a spiritual religious child. I, I was, grew up in a very Catholic household and, and, you know, that was just part of our week, you know, going to mass or saying prayers. And, and so, um, you know, I was very interested in the church when I was young, when I was about nine, I had decided that I wanted to become a Catholic nun. Um, and eventually like that, that didn't end up working out obviously, but, um, um, you know, I think that that faith is always been there for me even you know there have been times when I've been angry at God and don't go to church and do things like that um but I think I always have that like seed of faith or that you know kind of belief and I think too when I'm going through especially the lows of bipolar disorder when you just feel totally decimated um you know I, I end up kind of turning to that faith to you know as you know to give me strength or or to you know kind of as, as some light in the darkness I guess yeah. And how does it help? Um, I think for me, you know, cause I, I, I grew up Catholic, like, um, I find that, that just being in a church sometimes is just very relaxing, even not necessarily for mass, just kind of sitting and, and being still and being quiet. I think it's also, um, I think any kind of prayer or meditation or anything like that takes you out of yourself for a second. So you're not thinking about everything that's wrong and, and maybe you're focusing your attention just on something else, even if it's just saying a repetitive prayer or focusing on your breath or, you know, I think that those kinds of mindfulness can, can just relieve some of the pressure and, and, and some of the, the sadness for, you know, when you're in that state. So you, you use all the healthy things you can use. I try so, to. Oh. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I say there's no word like try, because once you're doing it, you're doing it, period. Yeah, right? yeah. You know, it might look different, but there's no such thing as just trying, or yeah. I try, because you're succeeding already. I have a very good friend who um, had, I had interviewed years ago with her being bipolar, and she uh, eventually, you know, really got into meditation, and that helped her hugely hugely she meditates on a regular basis and it was very helpful to her yeah and actually like with the kind of um, anxiety i've been feeling with covid recently i've started to get kind of really back into meditation and you know, especially like guided just guided meditation sometimes can you know take me out of what i'm feeling and experiencing and yeah i think it's definitely um definitely helpful <laughs> it's a good tool in the toolbox ain't it yeah yeah a lot of things yeah, <laughs> for a lot of things, you know, and, and working on the stigma is so important. And I'm, you know, I'm glad we're talking about it like this, because once we work on the stigma, you know, everyone that's out there listening, people are able to come out of the closet and it makes anything, whether it's an addiction, whether it's mental illness, it, it doesn't, it, it 
it alleviates the worst part of it when we can shine more of a light on it and it becomes more a part of our lifestyle than something we stick in the closet. Because anything we stick in the closet is always going to be worse when you hide it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, especially mental illness or any any kind of addiction or things like that. Um, I think, too, like those stories, they, they let us know that we're not alone. Because I think that all of those kinds of things, because of the stigma, you, you do feel so isolated. Um, and I think that the you know, things like depression make you feel even more isolated. And, and so I think that that's another way that, that it can kind of bring, bring people out or bring people together or, or prompt them to seek help. Just Absolutely. I agree completely. So what else would you want us to know about the steel mill that I haven't asked you, but it's at the tip of your tongue or something that you just a plotting to get out yeah no um i think like one of the things you know like you pass those places and like they look so like dead and lifeless and like yeah they're like bustling with life in inside of them um i think that just the, the biggest thing is like you know i think we see steel workers and and talk about industrial workers like in the news and things like that and and uh, you know when i was at the mill i used to feel like oh they always pick like the, the bumbling, you know, kind of bumpkin to, to represent all of the industrial workers. And, and really there's a lot of people like me who have college degrees and just, you know, you can be more, make more money as a steel worker than a teacher. You can, you know, and so like, it, it's just a very diverse group of people, you know, and, and it's not all, the people aren't all what we kind of would assume a steel worker to be. Yeah. So the message, that message for everyone is, you know, don't judge. Yeah. You know, don't I mean, yeah. say that again, say that again. Don't make assumptions. Yeah. yeah, don't assumptions. I mean, if 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 you can imagine and remember about Elise and the steer mill, then regardless of what you're looking at, there is life. There are stories. There's the mother with the shaven head on one side, pink hair on the other, that has children who just is just trying to get those kids, you know, through school and food on the table, and she'll do anything she can to have them have a life. And so if that's where she can do it, that's where she's going to do it. And there are those people everywhere in every walk of life. People have stories and wh whether they're on the street or they're in your back door, people have a story. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> and so, and what about the bipolar? Is there anything else about bipolar? that you want to bring out that we haven't already mentioned or talked about? Um, yeah, no, I think just, you know, the biggest thing is if, you know, if somebody in your life has that, um, any kind of mental illness, bipolar or anything, I think the biggest thing is like being educated and aware and, and not just about the like scientific things or the symptoms, but like, I think trying to, to seek out stories um, of people's experiences just so you can, you know, better understand what your loved one, I think, is going through. I think that sometimes, you know, my my husband will be like, well, you know, what can I do? I want to do something to make it better. And, and sometimes I just want someone to be present and, and to try and understand, you know, what I'm going through. Yeah. And I, and I want to add to that um, how important it is to know these things, because sometimes looking at someone, you, and we mentioned this, you don't know what's going on behind closed doors. So if somebody is not in a wheelchair 
or not walking around where they are blind or, I mean, people have issues and, or, and a story. And sometimes, and you don't know just by looking at somebody. And it's really important to get to know each other. You know, so. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Amnon, do you have my books there? Yes, ma'am. Here we go. So just as a reminder, in just one afternoon, listening to the hearts of men, twins, millennials, and yes, people impacted by opioid addiction. I cannot wait. It is at the editor. It's going to be edited. And hopefully in the next month, month and a half, it will be available. And I'm really excited about the next one, which I can't get to fast enough in just one afternoon, listening to the hearts of Black fathers. I didn't plan that to happen now. It was, it's been in the works, but it's going to come out and some amazing, amazing men sharing stories about their children, their families, and um, their heart. So, and they're all on um, Amazon. So show us your book again, Elise. Oh, yes. Perfect. Wonderful. Rust. Is there anything, so, and then next, you're, you're writing. Is there anything? Wait, you wait, 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 wait. Yeah. We didn't yeah. see the book. She has to say something oh. and you need to shut up. Okay. Oh, oh, so okay. she can get. So, so it's called Rust um, and I'm Elise Goldbach and you can find it on Amazon or, um, you know, indie books, anything like that. Barnes and Noble. Um, so yes, there she is. <laughs> Do you have pictures in there too? No, I don't actually. Um, okay. But it's interesting. There's a there's a great photographer, Cleveland based, who who took some pictures of the mill. I would love like in a subsequent edition to 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 get some in there. Yeah, I would. Do you have you have a website also? I do. It's um, elisecolettegolbach.com. Yeah. Okay. And do you have pictures on the website? Um, I don't have any of the steel mill. They it, we weren't really allowed to take pictures. Um, I think they're very yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah strict about that yeah all right well i can imagine yeah yeah you got to go down there to see it for yourself i guess <laughs> so um next you you want to tell us what you're doing next or is that a secret no it's not a secret um right. you know i right now i've been working on um a book about um memory kind of um i have a very like difficult memory from uh, my adolescence um where i actually attempted suicide um, very seriously. And so the book is kind of like examining that memory and how I relate to it, but also like kind of opening up into like scientific research, how we, how we remember um, philosophy of memory, um, things like that. So it, it just kind of weaves together, like kind of com coming to terms with this difficult memory for me. Yeah. Well, we have them. <laughs> yes, and, I'll do. And being honest and bringing them forward and sharing them, we all have them everybody so again thank you for doing that that's really i mean to talk about that is another huge huge message you know yeah thank you yeah well yeah i mean i've again coming back after five months has reminded me of a few things that i forgot that have now come back and i'm like where did that come from why did it come back and oh my gosh i thought i dealt with that a long time ago and now I'm dealing with it at my age and it's like, okay, all right, well, that's what I'm meant to do. So I'm meant to do it. So, you know, it's, it's something that we have to do. So anyway, you have been marvelous. So any words of wisdom for anybody going forward with anything 
of what you have learned and what you're beginning to do, what, you know, for people in general, because, you know, you have, having examined yourself through your life, through, mm -hmm. a, through a magnifying glass, for sure. What is your underlying overriding message? I think overall, I would say like, you know, if, if you're struggling or if you're not where you want to be, or if there's something that you want to accomplish and you feel like you can't, I think the biggest thing that I've learned is like, you just, you just keep doing it. You just keep doing it and you're going to fail and then fail again, but just like keep at it. And like, I think as long as you kind of keep that forward momentum, you'll, you'll find yourself, um, you know, kind of getting out of the rut or, or finding yourself where you want to be. Yeah. Right. Right. Or sometimes yeah. you find yourself somewhere where you didn't expect, but that's really right. great. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you get, you find yourself on the other side. Yeah. Some way, some shape or form and asking for help. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's a big yeah. deal, isn't it? Asking for help. It's yeah. <laughs> it's probably the biggest deal. Yeah. Probably the biggest <laughs> deal. So, yeah. 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 So I don't think anybody who accomplishes very much is not somebody who asks for help and you and it's and it's and it's an act of strength and kindness because strength for yourself to ask it's not failing and kindness too because people love to help oh yeah absolutely yeah you know people love to help and it's that give and take of energy it's very important any any other things you want to say at least because you're brilliant and i don't want to cut you off anything else before we say goodbye no, I think just keep on keeping on, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Good. Well, you come back and visit us again, okay? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I had a great time. Thank you. It's my pleasure. And if you have some ahas and you want to share them, share them here. Okay. Great. Okay? Yeah. All right. So, everyone, thank you so much for being with us today. We have, I have had just a blast being here with Elise and all of you. And, of course, I'm not in the background. And we look forward to seeing you very, very soon, each Monday live, hopefully. And um, just keep going. And, and sometimes it looks hairy. But just keep going and finding those, that community that, you can, uh, that can hug you and that you can hug and that will help you go forward and help them as well. So I love you all so much. Have a wonderful day and I'll see you soon.